you please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 8. Mark 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1 this morning. We are but one week now away from that critical moment in the Gospel of Mark when the Lord Jesus Christ looks into the eyes of His disciples and says, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And who do you say that the Son of Man is? And today Mark is setting the stage for this climactic encounter between Jesus and His disciples in chapter 8. So let's begin reading at verse number 1. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he called his disciples to them and to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, having given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Verse 11, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them. And got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now when they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had only one loaf with them in the boat, verse 15, and he cautioned them saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why? Are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the, for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. 
And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will come now and help us to understand. Illuminate our hearts and minds by your Spirit so that we see Christ as he is displayed by the gospel writer in this text that we might be transformed, that our faiths, as we sang in the song, would rise and our hearts would see the glory of Christ in this gospel this morning. We pray this in His name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a little boy, I used to love to do those, uh, those connect-the-dots puzzles. I guess you call them puzzles whatever they were, the pictures, the connect the dots pictures. In fact, I still actually enjoy doing them from time to time, and I downloaded a few this week. I didn't realize that you can actually go to a website, and there are various levels. You can get, like, elementary, and you can go all the way up to some pretty advanced connect the dots pictures that are hard to actually complete. And on the surface, the dots don't seem to make any shape at all, do they? They just look like random points on a page. But as you take your pencil or your pen or your crayon and start to connect the dots, draw line to line, an image begins to emerge. And then you wonder, why in the world couldn't you see it before? It becomes so obvious. Well, friends, that is how Mark is shaping his gospel. Not as a disjointed collection of accounts, and the historical events from the life of Jesus, but as a beautiful narrative picture of the divine Son of God. And if we would just be so careful to connect the dots, we might just see Jesus like never before. We would see a Jesus who is compassionate toward the needy and toward the lost. And we would also see a Jesus who is deeply troubled by human unbelief. And then we would see a Jesus who loves his own enough to firmly warn them of the spiritual dangers and the influences that threaten their faith. That is the picture that Mark is unfolding for us here in his gospel this morning, and has been for the past how many ever months we've been in this gospel. But this morning, I want us to travel back, as we do every week now, to most likely the summer of 29 A.D., on the day when Jesus fed the dogs. Now, to understand what I mean by that, we need to revisit that encounter between Jesus and a desperate Gentile mother who came begging him to rescue her little girl from the grip of Satan. And then Jesus had a very unusual response, didn't he, to say the least. Turn back in your Bibles with me to chapter 7. And let's look at verse 27 one more time. 
And let's connect the dots. Jesus said, It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now to call a Gentile a dog was a deeply offensive insult in ancient Jewish culture. (laughs) And some commentators have attempted to blunt the offensiveness of what Jesus is saying here by pointing out that the specific Greek word in the original text here used for dogs actually refers to the household pet, not to the scavenger dog out there in the streets. But any way we spin it, Jesus would have come across remarkably insensitive to a desperate mother begging for his help. You see, Jews generally viewed the Gentiles as outsiders to the blessings of God's covenant, as outsiders to the covenant promises of God. And the unusual statement of Jesus in Mark 7 to this Gentile mother on the surface, it seems to reflect that kind of attitude. But as we dealt with this passage a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus was actually being intentionally provocative to test the depth of this desperate woman's faith. He was, in fact, actually very gracious to this Gentile mother that most Jewish rabbis wouldn't have had anything to do with. They would have kept their distance from him, from her. Jesus healed her little girl. You remember, he said, go home. Your daughter is well. And then Jesus, as if to illustrate the full inclusion of the dogs, of the Gentiles, the full inclusion of the Gentiles in the redemptive plan of God, Jesus takes His disciples on an extended journey, probably two or three months long, deep into Gentile territory, which is exactly where we find ourselves In this passage in Mark chapter 8 this morning, where Mark is practically begging us to connect the dots between that encounter with that Gentile Syrophoenician mother and the text today when Jesus actually does feed the dogs. So beginning in chapter number 8, The first thing that we see is that Jesus is compassionate toward needy outsiders. Look at verse number 1, chapter 8. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way because some of them have come from far away. So Jesus and his disciples, they're still sort of embedded deep in Gentile territory in the the Decapolis on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee where a crowd of thousands, the 4,000 that he mentions here, Matthew tells us that it was 4,000 men which would have of course, translated into at least double that when you count the women and children. 
Thousands of Gentiles had gathered in the Decapolis for three days, and Jesus miraculously feeds them. Just like He fed the crowd of Jews on the other side of the lake in Mark chapter 6, when we went through that text a few weeks ago. I want to make a couple of observations from this miracle. First, about Jesus. Notice His compassion and His concern for the well-being of the crowd. He says, these people have been with me three days. They have nothing to eat. I, I can't send them home like this. I have to feed them. And what do we see here? The true shepherd's heart of Jesus on full display. You see, he's not like so many celebrity preachers today who just want the spotlight on them. They want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be the center of attention. And they don't really care about the people who are sitting under their voice. They are feeding off the flock instead of actually feeding the flock. But not Jesus, right? Hebrews 13.20 calls Him the great shepherd of the sheep. His compassion extends to all, even Gentile outsiders. The great shepherd of the house of Israel is also the great shepherd of the nations. Jesus said in John 10, 16, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's what he's doing here. He's bringing the outsiders home. What about you this morning, friends? Do you feel like an outsider to God's grace? You're not. You're not an outsider. Friend, Jesus cares about you this morning. He wants to feed you this morning. Secondly, notice something about the crowd. The crowd had been there for how long? Three days. In the summer heat. There's only about nine nine months left when you do the chronology of the ministry of Jesus he's got about nine months left this is the summer it's warm they were hungry they were tired they were needy but yet they stayed but when you fast forward to the 21st century we start to get antsy when church goes much past an hour don't we But we can sit through a two-hour movie, no problem. But not these people here on the southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. These people were hungry, not just for food. They were hungry for truth, for the truth of Jesus. They were hungry for His touch upon their lives. Friends, are you hungry this morning, for Jesus Christ. 
In verses 4 through 9, Jesus miraculously feeds the people and then He sends them home. You can read the details. It's much like His miracle when He fed the 5,000. But these were Gentile outsiders and old friends. <laughs> Get the picture. Jesus just took the children's bread and He fed it to the dogs because He loves us too. What about us this morning? Are we as needy as we should be? Do we realize the depth of our need? The depth of our spiritual starvation? We may feel full, but we're not. We're emaciated. We're starving for spiritual truth in this nation. Friend, if you feel like you're a needy outsider this morning, and you are, I am, we are, friend, run to Jesus. He will not send you away hungry. He will not send you home hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 6. But we need to get hungry. Secondly, in this passage, we see that Jesus is frustrated with unbelieving insiders. Unbelieving insiders. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. After feeding the Gentiles in the Decapolis, Jesus goes back across the lake from east to west. Okay? Trying to help us set this geography. He's back in Galilee now, and no sooner does he step off the boat than the Pharisees are pouncing on him again. Remember, he left Galilee to go to the region of Tyre and Sidon to get away from them. Mark 7. But he's back. This is where he, this is his home. And they meet him there. There's some dispute as to exactly where on the western side of the Galilee this is, but it doesn't matter. They meet him there and they say, Give us a sign. Prove to us who you really are. You see, these Gentile outsiders had just spent three days hungry, hot, and tired at the feet of Jesus. But now the religious insiders of His own people have come before the Son of God, full of skepticism and unbelief, asking for signs. Here's the reality, friends. Jesus had already given them signs, and signs, and signs, and more signs. And whatever else He might do, they would just find some explanation for it. Like they did in Mark 3, when he cast out demons, 
And they said, well, he gets his unique power from Satan himself. He cast out devils by the power of the devil. <laughs> you see, our problem with Jesus, friends, hear this this morning, our problem with Jesus is not signs, it is not proof, it is not evidence. It is willful unbelief because we do not like the demands that Jesus Christ in His Word has placed upon every single human being that will ever live. We see it all the time in the culture. In 2014, February of 2014, Bill Nye, probably you've heard of him. I think he's kind of infamous now, but Bill Nye, the science guy, he met with Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis and debated creation and evolution. And at the debate, Bill Nye said this, quote, Show me one piece of evidence and I would change my mind immediately, end quote. Now see, we know better than that. <laughs> Friends, never surrender the truth to the skeptic who says, just show me one piece of evidence. Just show me one sign, one proof, and I'll believe. <laughs> no, they won't. Because unbelief is a spiritual darkness that must be scattered and dispelled by the light of divine grace. But here's the, the awkward thing. In Mark 8, Jesus is not talking to the Bill Nye type. He's getting this challenge from the religious leaders of his day who knew the Word of God from cover to cover. They should have known better. So no wonder he reacted to them the way he did. Look at verse number 12. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Look at the look at the language that Mark uses. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, "Why? Why does this generation seek a sign?" The original language, the original Greek of the New Testament here, indicates that Jesus had a very deep frustration and grief, almost as if, as if he had reached his limit. Have you ever been so frustrated with something, or someone, that you just shake your head and sigh in disbelief? It's Father's Day. I'm a father, I have children. Sometimes my children act in certain ways that just makes me shake my head. And I can't believe you guys. That's Jesus here. He is over the unbelief of the Pharisees, friends. He's over it. He says, you want a sign? Forget it. Truly, I say to you, 
Verse 12, the end of verse 12. Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He says, I'm done playing your games. You don't want to believe? Fine. Don't. Friends, when the Son of God sighs at your unbelief, you are in trouble. And here lies the great danger for us today. If we persist in our unbelief, we are at risk of being left in our unbelief. You don't think God does that? He does it. Friends, Jesus is talking to us this morning. R.C. Sproul says this, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago, so he counts as one of the dead guys now that I often quote. <laughs> he says this. Scripture plainly teaches us that there are limits to God's patience. He may forbear with us week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, until we become at ease and think He will always forbear with us. But there have been times in redemptive history, Sproul says, when God's patience was exhausted and He gave people over to their sin. Friends, I fear that this is what we are seeing not only in our culture today, but also in the compromising church. God is giving us over to our unbelief. There is no other explanation for the kind of headlong dive into apostasy and into depravity that we are making. Romans 1, 28, the Apostle Paul says, Since, because, that's one of those, you know, connecting ideas, because they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased minds, a reprobate mind, to do what ought not to be done. We are seeing this verse played out before our very eyes in space and time in the church and in our culture today. And friends, we are without excuse. The United States of America is, out, is without excuse because there is no other nation on this planet that has been more evangelized than the United States of America. God has repeatedly held out His grace to us and He is getting fed up with our unbelief. Friends, don't make Jesus sigh at your unbelief. Don't do it. Don't do it. Lastly, in this passage, we see number three, Jesus is concerned for blind believers. Blind believers. He's already cared for the needy outsiders, the Gentiles. And he's over the unbelieving insiders. He's done with those guys. By the way, 
when Jesus was bleeding to death on Calvary's cross, they were still in front of him saying, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Friends, that's you and me. We're the villain. Friends, when you read the narratives of the Bible, don't put yourself as little King David. Don't put yourself slaying giants in Goliath. Don't put yourself as the good guy. We are the bad guys who need a Savior. We're the Pharisees looking at Jesus and saying, Give us a sign. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. He's done with that. No sign will be given, he says. But now he turns to his own disciples and the blind believers. Look at verse number 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, the disciples. And Mark is continuing to pound this image of bread, isn't he? It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And then Jesus multiplies the bread. Are we starting to connect the dots? And now they're in the boat without enough bread. Verse 14, they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he, Jesus cautioned them saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So we know what leaven is, right? The yeast. It's a, it's a fermenting agent that causes dough to rise. It's the stuff that they put in those yummy rolls at Texas Roadhouse. Can I get three amens? But in the Bible, it is often used to illustrate the corrupting influence of sin. Right? And Jesus here uses leaven to teach his disciples about the danger of unbelief and how it manifests itself. It does it in two ways. Number one, it comes out in either self-righteous hypocrisy, that's the leaven of the Pharisees, or it comes out in lawless immorality. That's the leaven of the Herod. So you've got legalism on one side, and what we call in theology antinomianism on the other side. So you've got this false piety over here that's super self-righteous. And then on the other side you've got, well, I don't care. Nobody can tell me how to live. I'll do what I want. Lawlessness. It's leaven. Satan will either deceive us, friends, with self-righteousness, or he will deceive us with immorality. And the point of Jesus here is that it only takes a tiny bit of unbelief to push us headfirst off the cliff in either direction. But the disciples, just like us today, they missed the point, as, as we missed the point. They thought Jesus was talking about real bread, the kind you eat, because they forgot to bring enough on the boat, but... He wasn't. Verses 16 through 20, he says this. He, I'm going to paraphrase it, okay? He says, guys, do you not remember when I fed the 5,000? 
and then the 4,000. If I was talking about bread, I can get us some bread. Are you so blind? Are your hearts still so hardened to the spiritual realities that I am teaching you? That's what he's saying. I said it in the context, though. He's in the boat going actually to this place called Bethsaida. Who's he getting away from? The Pharisees. He's thinking on their unbelief, their skepticism. Show us a sign. You know, whenever I have an encounter that leaves me troubled, I often go and talk to my family about it. I I, I don't always include the particulars. But I'll use that encounter to teach and admonish, especially my children, to watch out for the spiritual dangers that lead us astray. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's troubled by the unbelief of the Pharisees. Friends, let us, let us not pretend that Je- this stuff just bounces off of Jesus like a Rain-X wipe. He is troubled by their unbelief. Deeply troubled in his spirit. And he gets back with his guys. He's troubled by their constant skepticism, their unbelief, and the conflict with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians. And he turns to those that he loves most. And he says, guys, listen to me. Don't let this stuff in your hearts. It is dangerous. Don't be like the self-righteous Pharisees. Don't be like immoral Herod. Don't let the leaven of unbelief grow in your heart until it leads you away from me like it has them. Friends, I want to urge you this morning, watch out for the leaven. We're seeing all kinds of it in the church today, like never before, things that Draw us away from the centrality of Christ. It's coming from everywhere. It comes from progressive ideologies like critical race theory, which is nothing more, friends, than rank racism cloaked in anti-racism. you got college kids... They're drinking this stuff from a fire hydrant right now. It is the anti-gospel. We're seeing the complete redefining of the biblical sexual ethic to accommodate the LGBT movement. There's the redefining of biblical gender roles in the home, in the church. The Southern Baptist Convention last week, you remember we prayed for them in the prayer, the pastoral prayer last Sunday. Last week they met, they elected a president who co-preaches with his wife. There's the undermining of biblical authority and the sufficiency of Scripture by trying to, to force 
millions and billions of years of stellar and biological evolution into the Genesis creation account. Then there's this profane sort of syncretistic mixing of Christianity and American nationalism. Friend, I could go on, but I'm, I'm out of time. If I could apply the words of Jesus from this passage to us today, I would say, dear saints, beware of American Christianity. Don't let this stuff into your hearts. It will lead you down the road to total apostasy, which is exactly what we're seeing in the church today. Every day there's somebody new who goes online. Hashtag exvangelical. Hashtag unbeliever. Whatever you want to call yourself. They're defecting from Christ. It's because we've let the leaven in. Friends, this is the day here in Mark 8 that Jesus fed the dogs. It's the day He judged the unbelieving Pharisees. He said, I'm done with you guys. No more signs for you. And it's the day that He warned His disciples, the blind believers, beware of what's out there. I wonder... Which group would we find ourselves in this morning? Would it be the needy outsiders? Yes, we are Gentiles. Certainly, we are needy outsiders. Would it be the unbelieving insiders? Oh, friends, let's hope not. Repent of any unbelief in your life. Run from it. But what about the blind believers? Would we be in that group? Would we, would we be the disciples who sometimes, oftentimes, just miss the point? Is that who we are this morning? Are we allowing a little bit of living to get into our hearts? Is there something in our lives that is taking our focus off of Jesus Christ? We need the pure truth of the gospel to dispel whatever darkness that is in our hearts and drawing us away from the sweet bread, the pure bread of Jesus Christ. So like these Gentile outsiders here, we too have no right to appear before a holy God. to be fed by His Word, through His Spirit. We have no right for that. We don't belong at this table. But friends, <laughs> this is the day that Christ has called the dogs to the table. You see, the beauty of the Gospel is that Jesus loves the unlovable. He loves the dogs. <laughs> He loves the outsiders. He loves the needy ones, the lost ones, the wandering ones. That's you and me. He calls us by His grace through repentance and faith to His table to feed on Him the true bread of life. That's the picture 
that Mark is drawing for us in his gospel. These are the dots he wants us to connect. Jesus is the divine son sent from God to rescue us from our unbelief. Friends, believe on Jesus Christ today. Don't leave here like the skeptical, unbelieving Pharisees. Don't do it. Believe on Christ. Let's pray.